welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Um, I was, uh, Fonz takes pictures for our social media every once in a while, and I was, um, you know, I've been fasting for, for a long time. And I was like, man, I'm going to see this, these pictures of me, and I'm going to look great. And I saw this picture, and I'm like, no, it's just me, just less fat. That's, like, that's, it. that's what it is. This is me. Um, <laughs> it's been a good journey. Uh, I'll tell you about it a little bit during my message, my fasting journey. But we're going to continue this journey of Abraham as we've been doing for the last 50, 49 weeks or so. We're here on the 43rd part of the journey of Abraham at the climax of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac on the altar and I had um, one of our guys at our men's group ask me the question he's like but why and I was like okay so let's let me explain it a little more so we're going to spend a little bit, bit more time on this because it, it is the most important picture in the Old Testament it's the most important icon that there is in Hebrew literature it's literally the most important story in Christian literature it's the most important prophetic symbol of the unbelievable gift of that the father gives his son Jesus for us for regeneration renewal cleansing and all that kind of stuff so we're going to jump into that why don't you stand with me we're going to do what we do we're going to all read the word together we have a few uh, scriptures here out of genesis 22 12 everybody with me he said do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now i know that you fear god seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to receive your word afresh, God. Your word that has the power to create universes and worlds that literally created our very world and life and existence by the power of your word. Lord, let that word be sown into our hearts, God, to produce the kind of kingdom of heaven fruit that you said in the Lord's prayer, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. All right, have a seat. High five your neighbor and give Megan a hand for holding the keys down. Pregnant, pregnant with twins and holding the keys down pregnant with twins. Come on. So good. We like, we like babies around here. We think they're pretty important to uh, the history of the world. <laughs> if you don't know that, I'll talk to you about it. It's pretty, pretty essential to mankind, you know, babies. <laughs> we like them. Have them. When you're married, please. <laughs> please wait until you're married. All right. Welcome to King's Church. My father-in-law, as Bethany mentioned, on September 8th will be here. Um, I was talking to a buddy this week about it, and I, and I, would, I would recommend preparing your heart, you know, and just getting yourself ready. 
Because when a guy, when you go to the surgeon and you have something deep that needs to be done, they tell you to do things to prepare for the surgery, right? Like you're not allowed to eat certain foods. You have to have an empty stomach. You have to have certain things to get you ready for the surgery. And if you have expectation in your heart that God is actually going to do something, you can prepare yourself and say, God, this guy specializes in relationship, sexual damage, which we live in this massively sexually damaged society, so that includes everybody, and father and mother and those kind of issues, and he's gonna come and talk about them. All right, Lord, prepare my heart to do this whole, this, this work of wholeness inside of me. It's not scary, it's not shameful, I don't need to hide under the carpet. God has a way, and that way is your flourishing and my flourishing, amen? Okay, um, and then Richie's gonna come, that'll be good. So. Welcome. <laughs> I've got a lot of stuff to talk about today. And uh, I want to talk to you about my fasting journey just really briefly because it's been on the forefront and I've been talking to people about it. And I think it's really important. Jesus said, um, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees. He didn't say, Jesus didn't say, if you fast. Uh, so when you fast means that it's a part of the life of a disciple. Further, Jesus, uh, the, 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 the Pharisees said, Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? And he said, when the bridegroom is with them, they will, they will not, they'll celebrate. But as soon as I leave, they will fast again. They will be fasting again. And if you see through the book of Acts, especially the beginning handful of chapters, whenever there's something important, the, the, the apostles are fasting and praying before they do anything, right? Why are they doing that? It's a way that we can... We can quiet the roaring lion of the flesh, of our carnal desire, of our needs, of our, of our you know, the, the thing that always wants to be satiated and shut that thing up for a minute and say, okay, God, I want to hear you. I want to align my way and my thoughts and my prayers with you. You know, the book of James says, um, many of you are not getting your prayers answered. Can anyone say Amen. <laughs> And he said, many of you are not getting your prayers answered because you are not praying according to the will of God. You're praying that your own needs might be met, that you might be fattened for the kill. He doesn't say exactly, that's the Engelhart paraphrase. But the idea is that oftentimes we're praying for things that are just about my own glory, my own ease. And what if God has you in a hard place on purpose? What if he's actually God and he actually knows better than you? What if that's a possibility? I'm not saying it's true. I mean, there's obviously hard places that he doesn't want you to be in. But what if it's the case that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways? And that's axiomatic for Christians, that he's right and we're wrong. That's the whole tree of the Garden of Eden, right? Like, he's got a thing and he asks us not to do it. And we say, it just doesn't make any sense not to do that. Why would I not do this? You can eat any fruit of the tree of the garden, but don't eat this one tree right here. Just this one. Don't do it. It doesn't make any sense. You didn't give me a why. You didn't give, do you ever wonder, like, why didn't God give Adam and Eve a why? Why didn't he say to them, because the way I created you structurally, if you eat of this, it will corrupt you. It's too powerful. You won't even be able to handle it right. It'll break down the fabric of the universe. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's the reason, and he doesn't even tell them why, because it's part of trusting God. It's part of actually what's called relationship, right? It's part of like, like every time my kid says why, it's like, yeah, no. I usually tell them why because I want to help them grow, but when they're little, you don't explain to them why when they want to run out in the street, right? Uh, if, you're, if you're like, I'm just such a prayer warrior, I'm going to pray for this guy, and God's just going to 
I'm, he's with me and I'm praying for someone standing on the train tracks, you're gonna die. Doesn't matter if you're praying for them or not, right? Train's gonna come and run you over. There are rules of which we need to abide by that you don't always know the answer for. Well, trains is a pretty obvious one, but <laughs> there are other rules that we're called to abide by and that we don't really know why. So anyway, I've been fasting. I felt like at the beginning of this month, the Lord asked me to fast and I, I woke up. Actually, I woke up on like day 19 or 20 and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to wind down this fast. So not eating any food, drinking only water for 19, 20 days. I'm like, ah, it's probably not the Lord. I'm gonna, I, or committed to fasting for 30 days. So I wake up on day 21 and I, and I woke up early and I went out outside my prayer time and I really strongly felt like the Lord said, you, I really want you to stop fasting. There are things you need to do, not fasting, stop. And so I was like, ah, okay, that sounds, that sounds good. And I was thinking about this scripture about King Saul and, and the sacrifice with the prophet Nathan. And King Saul wants to give this sacrifice to the Lord. It sounds good. It looks good. It's a sacrifice. It's a burnt offering. It's a gift. It sounds really cool. And the rule is don't do this. Let the prophet be there. Saul decides he's going to do it anyway. And he gives the sacrifice anyway. And um, he loses the entire kingdom. And the prophet says to him, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obeying God is better than doing something that you think is really cool for God. And that's a scary thing, right? There's, there's like a couple of kinds of Christians, but one of a kind of Christian can be this kind that looks like they're doing all the stuff for God, but they're not actually obeying him at all. Burning the sacrifice, doing all the stuff, running the race, but they're not actually obeying what he's called them to do and how he's called them to behave and respond. So... Anyway, so my fast ended on day 21, and it was amazing, and God was with me, and I felt tons of peace and grace and faith, and, and then had a couple of amazing calls later in that day that were some big breakthroughs that I've been waiting for that just came throughout the day, um, and I didn't do anything. I didn't make the calls. I didn't prepare for the calls. I didn't reach out to the people early, so it was like a confirmation that it was the Lord's timing, and I'll hopefully be able to tell you more about that as those things unfold. They're pretty exciting. Um, okay, is that good? Good story? Okay, so here we are, recap Abraham. This is, the, this is the fundamentals. These are the axioms of our syllogism, which are, the axioms are like part A, part B, and syllogism is like the whole formula A plus B equals C. And so the, so the God story is like this. God speaks, we believe that we can hear him, we obey him, he asks us to do something wacky, we obey him, and we get this massive promise. We get a giant God-sized promise. And again, this goes, like, this is the whole story over and over again. Why would God ever ask you to do something that's crazy or doesn't make sense? It's every faith journey that you start out at your father's house and then God says, okay, now go out into the absolute unknown. We used to sing this song when I was a kid, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons has. And you're like, and then you say left hand. Have you, has anyone done this before? Yes, yes, yes. Left hand first and then you go right hand and you're doing left hand, right hand and then you're doing marching like this. You go through the song. And then um, you spin in a circle and sit down. And I was so confused as to the purpose of those motions for most of my life. No one ever told me as a kid the theological foundation for those motions. The whole idea is this following God idea into the unknown. That's the whole concept of these. See, there were two, there were two motions. And the other one was like the Lord's army. Did anyone do that? The Lord's army. And that one, you're killing people. So that like, 
the ideas got conflated. Like, am I taking over a small village or am I following God? What am I doing? Um, you turn around, sit down. Your uh, father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them. I am one of the people that is following God on this wild journey that I don't really know what will happen once I get out there. Hebrews chapter 10. He went out going, wherefore, not knowing he was going. And here we are again, exactly in the same spot, 26 years later from the initial ask, and God has another massive ask that's in the same accordance. Go up to the mountain and bring your son, your only son, your most beloved son, and hand him over to me to sacrifice him. And we know, like, contextually, that means cut the neck and burn the body. And so God is not asking him just to leave his house and go for a trip in the, in the wilderness, which is terrifying in the first instance. He's been following this journey for 25, 26 years now. And now he's at the base of this mountain, and Mount Moriah, and God says, now I want you to go up to this mountain with your son and do something else that's absolutely terrifying to confirm my covenant. And it says in the book of Hebrews and it says in the book of Galatians that Abraham knew that God would resurrect his son, that he knew that God wouldn't actually make him, make him lose his son. It says it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. And the reason it says that is because in Genesis chapter 21, God says to Abraham, this is very important, he says, through you, all of the nations of the earth or all of your lineage will be reckoned to you. Your offspring will be reckoned to you. What is that word reckoned? What, what, is, what a strange word to use, right? It's bizarre. It's a bizarre word. The idea actually in Hebrew is even stranger. It, the word reckon means to call to you or echo throughout, or beckon, this, this beckoning or calling that's echoed throughout time, all of the generations that come will be beckoned through your son, the life of your son. And the, the concept in Genesis 21 is that through the supernatural life of Isaac, the brand new birthing, not only is Israel, but all of us are called into the covenant of faith. And that's why in Hebrews it says, Abraham, our father, calls us into the same covenant through Isaac, now through Jesus, who sets this up. So he's going up to the mountain, relying on the word of God, believing that his son, either God's going to provide or his son's going to be brought back to life. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like, I know God told me to do something with my life or this thing, but, uh, but I don't. I'm not sure how it's gonna go down. I know God said it and he's always faithful, he always provides, but I don't know how he's gonna meet my needs so I'm nervous walking there or going down the path. I think that's called the Christian life in general, right? So I sent Leon to the store two, three weeks ago and it's, maybe it, was, maybe it was four weeks ago and it's his first time going out, leaving our apartment as a nine-year-old, 10-year-old I guess, and wandering through the city by himself to go to the store and bring back the thing I wanted at the time when I was fat, which were Reese's. So I wanted to go get Reese's, bring them back to me. Didn't want to get off the couch. 
sending him on the journey through the wilderness. And uh, he's like, Dad, I don't want to go. I'm like, you're going you're gonna to go. It's just on the same block we live on. You're going to go down the elevator. You're going to walk over there. You can go in. We have a couple of um, eccentric individuals in our neighborhood that sometimes scream at people at random. So, he, you know, he's thinking about these guys. And I'm like, just get the Reese's and come to me. Come back to me. And so I, I say, I know what store you're going to, and I know how long it's going to take you to get there. Go there, get them, and come right back. And I said to him, if you go to any other store, expressly tell me, come back up here, tell me, Dad, they didn't have it. I got to go to another store a block or two away, and I know that'll add 10 minutes. Because if not, what happens? I'm, my mind's spinning, and I think he's gotten kidnapped and murdered immediately. That's just a first automatic paranoia Engelhart thought that comes in my mind. Please don't do that to yourself. It's just... I've developed it. It's a bad skill to develop. So he goes down the elevator. Jameson was over. And uh, we're looking, I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, three minutes, four minutes, he's fine. Uh, five minutes hits, and uh, he's not back yet. I'm like, all right, it takes five minutes. I'm like, six minutes, seven minutes, and it's eight minutes. And then I'm like, okay, he's been kidnapped by terrorists at this point, right? They're like, we need to kidnap somebody. Let's get this little red-haired kid. He kind of stands out because it's his red hair. So grab him, throw him in the van. And I'm like, okay, now i got to get my shotgun, go down there, and start knocking on vans. Uh, you guys uh, seen a red-haired kid anywhere? No. So I go down. I'm like, I know what store in my mind he went to. He went to a store a block away, and they usually have a longer line. So it'll probably take him another few minutes. But I'm paranoid. I think he's, there's, a, there's a 1% chance he's kidnapped by terrorists, so i got to go down there. And so I put my pants on, fortunately. No, I didn't have my pants off with Jameson there. That's a joke. I go down the elevator. I go over and I walk to the store I think he's going to be at. And I see him bounding, you know, bounding out of the store. And, you know, but on the way down the elevator and walking over to the store, I knew that he was going to be there. But the whole time I have this little tiny fear voice in my heart saying, maybe your kid got kidnapped. And I'm, and I'm thinking about, from the perspective of, fa- of a father, bringing your son somewhere risky, and obviously these are vastly different examples, um, and that thing that says, I know God's going to provide, I know my son's not going to have to get sl- slaughtered here on the mountain, I, he's been faithful, God literally showed up and spoke to me and said he was going to be faithful through my son, so I know he has to do that, but it's scary right now. And this is the context that we find ourselves in, a father that's terrified that he's going to have to give up his son, but he knows that God spoke, so he must believe. And that's why we say, and we've been saying since day one at King's Church, believing that God can speak to you is the single most important thing about engaging your life in faith. Now, you can stand in the outskirts and say a prayer, but you can't engage fully the life of faith unless you can have an actual relationship with God that's built on the construct of his scripture and his way and his character and all that kind of stuff. But that's the whole story. It's the first verse, it's the first clause in the first verse of the father of faith. And God said to Abraham, that's it. And God continues to say, and the thing about the story, guys, is God's not just saying, like, I want you to pick out a red shirt today. God's saying, give up stuff that's really valuable for my way, and I'll backfill and bless you however I want to do that. And that's up to me. So um, let's jump into this first scripture, Genesis 22, 12. It says, and do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. 
And then it says this, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So we've been, this is the third week on this small portion of scripture. And the first two weeks we laid it out so you get what's happening. You know that Isaac is a picture of Jesus and all this kind of stuff. But there's this phrase that's incredibly important and it says this, do not do anything to him. Know that, excuse me, God's saying, now I know that you fear God. The angel of the Lord is speaking on behalf of God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It is, now the words say this, they say it this way. Now that I know that you are fearing God, it's not a, a static word. It actually represents his whole life and being. And if you remember, just in the previous chapter, he made a major mistake, right? He tried to sell his wife again to sexual slavery, to Melchizedek, um, not Melchizedek, what's the guy's name, the M guy? Yeah, Abimelech's camp, bad idea. Um, so he's not perfect, but he's saying, now that I know that you are willing to give up this most important thing, the, the wholeness, I can, now I know that you are God, the Hebrew says, fearing all of your life, all of your existence, the whole thing is now stamped by the approval of God. It's the, it is literally the apex of the covenant of God with man. God has been testing Abraham on this journey for the last 25 years. He's been walking faithfully with him. And he says, now that I see what you've done, your physical acts have done, it stamps the promise of God. We've been going through this journey um, with a guy by the name of A.B., no, not A.B. Simpson, uh, Murray. Charles Murray, is that his name? Yeah, Andrew Murray, sorry. I get the old guys mixed up in my head. The dead guys, rather. And... Um, 30 days, Andrew Murray, Biden Christ, free on YouTube. Please, 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 please join us. How many people are doing that with me? Let me see. Yes. It's a game changer. It's unbelievably good. He said yesterday that being in Christ is the first place and posture. Obeying in Christ is the perfecting agent in Christ. And this is the picture of Abraham on the mountain, that he's walking with God, he's a man of God, but his obedience to God is the perfecting agent. It's the thing that actually perfects or forms or shapes him. And God says, isn't this bizarre that God says, now I know? Wait a second, God. I thought you were omniscient. I thought you were all-knowing. Why would you ever say, now I know? Didn't you know from day one? Didn't you, don't you already know everything in the whole universe at all times and you just kind of sit back on your lazy boy and have angels throw popcorn in your mouth? That's what I would do. Um, I think God is saying, I was testing you to establish my covenant and you passed the test. And we have a, we have a, a faith system in the United States that we focus so much on the initial entrance into the kingdom that sometimes we forget about this second part that's obedience in Christ. And you know what? Obedience doesn't get you to Christ and it doesn't get you through, through Christ. Only faith does that and only the blood and love of Jesus. Only the calling and drawing of the sovereign God does that. Okay? Only our response in faith to his His sovereign, beautiful, magnificent, incredibly large love. But once you're inside of it, 
in there, covered by his love, inside of it, you cannot be perfected apart from obedience. You cannot be crafted or made into who you are, called to be apart from obeying and doing the things that are really hard. So check this out. James says this, faith without works is dead. So also faith by itself, saying yes to Jesus, raising your hands, vocally shouting to him, bowing down, doing all this, the church stuff, the spirit stuff, the priest stuff. All that stuff is great. But faith without works, working is dead. Some, some, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19. You believe that God is one and you do well. Guess what? Even the demons believe and they shudder. I believe in God, bro. I, I post about him once every seven on my Insta. You know, I got, I got a cross tattoo on my arm. Great. The demons also believe in God. Good work. They believe as well. They don't obey. That's the separation. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from work is useless? This is why I love this Abraham story. It's so fundamental to, the, to our entire faith uh, uh, painting. It says this, was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. It was started by believing the voice of God. It was completed by actually obeying the demands or commands of God. Amen? Verse 23 says, and the scripture was fulfilled And it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And I preached this about three or four months ago and I didn't say this because I was saving it for now, three or four months later. He's a friend of God. He goes into friendship zone because he can be trusted by God at this point forward. He's now trust, now now he's a trusted friend of God. And it seems to me that the highest thing that we could desire as Christians is to be friends of God. Not just beneficiaries. And I want us to be beneficiaries, right? I want us to be benefit, like a beneficiary and as a will is like when someone passes away, you get all the stuff, right? Jesus died on the cross for us. We get all the stuff. I want you to have the stuff. I want you to be blessed and abundant. But I want us as a body, to our greatest desire to be friends of God. And can I just tell you, it doesn't happen just in worship time, singing very authentically. It happens in obedience, That's the toughest place it happens. That's the hardest thing. When it's way easier to stay on the bottom of the mountain and say, God, you must be crazy, friend. Like my own son going up there to the top of the mountain and stabbing my own child. I don't even like when my kid is gone for 7.2 minutes at the store. It rattles me. And you're saying that you want me to sacrifice my own son. In verse 13, it says, and Abraham looked up and, and, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by the horns and he went over and took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering. Um, this is another, another kid's story. My boys were with their uncle Paul, upstate New York, 
and um, there are bears up there. I don't know if you've been there before. They have bears, and they were climbed up this this hill with that had all of these thicket bushes, briars kind of going up, you know, pokey, stabby devices that grow on plants. If you're from the city, that's what that's what they are. And uh, they're up there tooling around, and then a bear popped out because there were all these berry bushes. And they were pretty actually close to the Hudson River, so they weren't technically in the castles. They were at the foothills, where the foothills touched the Hudson River. And this bear pops up, and my kids are there with Uncle Paul, and he, my brother is a beast, and he, um, he grabs both of the kids and just starts t- running through. He steps on a bee's nest. <laughs> Bees go blast out everywhere like a bee balloon. And uh, he runs through these briars, briars and just gets torn up and getting stung. And Leon gets stung up the nose <laughs> and, and, then, and then gets sliced by, by this pricker bush, by this briar. And then they slide down and the bear doesn't eat them. Yay! <laughs> it was a good story. They love that story. Um, I, like, I like the idea of these these thickets or, 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 or bush, the, the pricker bush idea. If you get your hand caught in, in the thicket, like it'll go, it can go in kind of easy, but to pull it out, it'll lock you in there and, and tear you up because the, 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 the way the barbs are bent, you can usually get in, but coming out, it'll tear your hands up. It kind of locks you in and almost pulls you down into it. And so I was talking to my dad about, I'm going through Isaac, and I'm telling him all the parallels about Isaac and Jesus. Jesus was crucified on the same mountain that Isaac was, gave up a sacrifice, and all of these other beautiful parallels. The journey with Abraham and Isaac was three days. The, the crucifixion was three days, all this kind of stuff. So um, my dad says, yeah, but do you know about the ram and the, and, and the thicket? And I said, no. And he said, well, that's Jesus. The ram and the thicket is Jesus. And so I'm like, well, let's find out. Let's take, let's take a look at this. So I start looking into the Hebrew word for this word thicket. And the biblical di- dictionary says a thicket is a, is, a, is a thorn bush. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, the, the biblical dictionary says a thicket is a thorn bush. The Hebrew word for thicket is twisted place. And can, can you think in your minds of, a, of any twisted thorns that happen to be in the New Testament? Have you ever heard of, of a thing called the crown of thorns? that were these twisted up thorns that were placed upon the head of Jesus. The, the old King James said he plated upon him, which means crushed down upon his head, this, this crown of thorns. And God says, don't do it. I have a sacrifice in the stead, in the, in, in the position of your son. So your son doesn't have to be sacrificed, but I'm going to show you this picture of my son who will be sacrificed. So in Genesis chapter 3, at, or chapter 2, or two to, to end of 2 to 3, Adam and Eve eat of the apple, and God proclaims the curse upon them. And the first part of the curse says this. And, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and had eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat, cursed is the ground from you, through toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. And this is the first thing the earth produces because of the curse, ready? Both thorns and thistles, it will yield to you and you will eat the plants of the field. So the first produce of the curse is thorns. So the picture of a thorn bush in the scripture represents the curse that comes upon us. And so when, there, when, when God called Abraham to look in the thicket bush, he was seeing a picture of Jesus 
thousands of years before Jesus would come and break the curse, God was saying, Jesus, my son, the lamb that will take the sacrificial place for your son will take the curse and put it upon his head and he will be sacrificed. It's so wild to me that it doesn't just say that there was a beast caught in a bush. It literally says in this bush, in, this, in 22, he says, he went, where is it, 13? I'm sorry, 22, 23. Do you have that up there, Greg? I want to own a, yeah, it says that, it literally says that his horns were caught in the, in the, um, Here it is, sorry, sorry, third turn. Abraham looked and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it. So the ram wasn't caught by his tail, nor was the ram caught by its paw or its ear. It was literally caught by this thing that was the crown of the ram was caught in the bush of thorns that represented God intending from the beginning to crush the curse and destroy the curse. And it's more than that because the thorns are a picture of something that we get stuck in. It's a picture of sin. It's a picture of poverty. It's a picture of sickness. It's a picture of pain that when we try to pull out of, it just scratches us and cuts us and pulls us and lodges us deeper and deeper into the thorn bush. It's the picture of trying to break free from the curse without Christ. It's the picture of trying to use all your tools and your resources and all your stuff and your strategies, but you're getting sucked deeper and deeper into the thorn bush that pulls you and hangs on to you. That's the nature of thorns. But God said, I'm going to send my son and he will wear the curse upon his head and he will be the sacrifice that breaks the curse for you all. And this is the grand picture when my... Uh, my friend asked me this week, why, David? But why would God make Abraham do this? If he, knows the, if he knows the beginning from the end and he knows all of the answers, why would God make Abraham almost sacrifice his son? And I said, I think the more powerful and more unbelievable significant picture is that why would God ever give his only begotten son to us to die that death? Not almost die that death but the one he loves the most, the pure and unblemished, perfect and spotless lamb that was given for you and for me. I find that question far more compelling than why would God almost have someone else do it. I find it compelling that when I look at my life and I see my disasters and my sins, and there are boatloads, friends, please don't be confused by the silk shirt. <laughs> there, are, there are lots that throughout all of my disasters that God would send his unbelievably unblemished perfect. Do you know the thing about love is love can't exist inside of a vacuum. So God is love and God must have a relationship within himself to express love. So love can be expressed relationally because it doesn't function alone. It's not solitary. It only functions within community. And so to give up perfect love, beautiful only most loved, pure, perfect, 
for you and for me to take the curse on that was my fault. Sometimes I look at people's um, you know, social media feeds. We all do it regularly. And like the people that don't get it always seem to be blaming someone else for their problem. And the people that are starting to get it tend to say, God, most of the disaster around me is me. Most of the disaster that I, is the wake of my own decisions and actions. And God comes to a world that's blaming him for the state that they created. He comes because he's so, he loves us so unbelievably that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While our hearts were hard and dark in the, in the grossest gutter that you've ever been in, he sent a spotless lamb, his beloved son, to be sacrificed for us. And I said to my friend when he asked me, but why? And I said, the other but why is because it's the most important thing in the entire Bible. It's not just in the entire Bible. It's actually the most important thing in the entire universe. That the way in which love is most manifest is by giving the most valuable thing you have. From Genesis to Revelation, the Old Testament climax of this story says, he who gives the thing that he loves most breaks the curse in their life. Now, Jesus breaks the curse ultimately for all of us. We have access to the Father and all the blessings of heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 says, in Christ. But in our own life, there are other specific situations where we're holding on to stuff that God says, please sacrifice them to me. Please give them to me. It's sometimes relationships. Sometimes it's sexual addiction. Sometimes it's a bottle. Sometimes it's pills. And God says, please put them on the altar and give them to me. And I'll give you something much, much better in return. The thing I have for you is much more beautiful and much more fulfilling and much more powerful. I was, I was thinking about Jesus' verse that, that says, greater love hath no man than this, than he that gives his life for a friend. And why is that? Because there's usually not anything we love more than ourselves, right? Sometimes if you have waited for years and years and you have a child, sometimes you can love that child more than yourself. When they get older, then you start to think, I don't know, but <laughs> just, that's a joke. It's a joke. Um, the picture of Isaac on the mountain, the sacrifice that's been given, says to me two things. This massive universal gift that God gave to mankind, Jesus, his son, was the sacrifice. He put on a crown of thorns. It was crushed upon his head. He bled and died for you and me. It's the most unbelievable gift that's ever been given in the history of the universe. That's unprecedented. There'll never be anything like it ever again. And it's a gift that God's given to you today where you sit in this seat. And the second part of that is God's called you into relationship to be perfected by a similar kind of obedience. If he's calling you today to put something on the altar of your life, what is that? I don't know. What's the Isaac? What's the hard thing to give up that God's asking you to give up? Please don't put any of your children in the microwave when you get home. He's not asking you to do that. It's usually something you love really a lot and you put in place before he and you. And if we can get anything out of the story before we move on, I want to understand, I want you to understand this little simple scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
That's the story that Abraham has been leading up to. That's the picture that God has been painting. That's the whole culmination of this entire series is how much God loves the world that he didn't make Abraham do it, but he gave his own son for us to have life. Amen? Just stand with me. Lord, we thank you for your goodness this morning, God. We thank you for um, your word. We thank you how powerful and beautiful it is. God, we ask that you would speak to us through it, God. You would challenge us. But first and foremost, God, let us see your beauty, that you're a good father, that you love us so much, unabashedly, unashamedly, independent of where we are, we're at, independent of what we did yesterday or the day before or 10 minutes before we get to, got to church, God, that you sent your son Jesus to wipe the, the slate clean and allow us to come in pure and undefiled as sons of God, not because of our own works, but because of the precious blood of Jesus. God, we're grateful for it. And as your sons and daughters, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.